You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch for the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. Uh, John, this week we are continuing our discussion or after show talk about on Amazon. This week's episode was episode four for us. Was that right? Four? Yes. Uh, Crazy Diamond, which um, was uh, oh was actually episode four for the BBC as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. When we get to that episode, when we get to that part of the, the episode where we're going to be talking about that, thank you, Zelda. Uh, we will. I will have things to say. I think she also was not impressed. She was not. No. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about some geek news. And uh, one of the bigger geek news items, I think, to come out this weekend uh, came out of uh, the Star Trek convention in Los Angeles or Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Jean-Luc Picard is going to be coming back. Patrick yeah. Stewart himself announced it at the convention that his character, Jean-Luc Picard, will make an appearance after 20 years of not being on TV on uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery for CBS All Access. Yeah. Now, is it going to be on Star Trek Discovery, or is it going to be it's on a whole new show that's going to be spearheaded by him? No, I believe it's just going to be the it's on it's he's going to be in episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Interesting, because um, if I understood it correctly, it's uh, his scenes will all be taking place after the events of the series finale, which was very definitive and a very good conclusion to the whole gener uh, the next generation TV show. So I'm kind of wondering if it'll just be like a cameo type thing. Well, see, that's I, I honestly, I, I don't watch Star Trek Discovery, um, so I don't really know too much about that show. But I believe it's supposed to take place before Kirk and his Enterprise. So yeah. how exactly is Picard going to be around? I have no idea because isn't that like a hundred years after Kirk? Yeah, there'd be some like time traveling shenanigans to to pull those two. Uh, timelines together but i mean i guess they already do that in the new kelvin verse so yeah that's true yeah and this show is supposed to take place in the kelvin verse isn't it i believe so yes yeah this is uh right before the events of jg abrams trek. star trek yeah abrams 2009 trek. trek star trek yeah um now it could be like in uh what was it the enterprise show with scott bakula right where at the end of that series um you're watching the playback or you're watching the vids that uh Riker and uh and troy or uh, or what are watching to that he is using to pump himself up because he's gonna about to go give a speech it's like the last voyage of the enterprise or like it's something uh it's essentially trip that he's watching for because trip ends up dying at the end of that series yeah the engineer so he's um he's reliving like the holodeck version of mm -hmm. uh, the history of enterprise and i'm like well, that's kind of a shitty ending but yeah <laughs> I mean, but I guess like, if you had to make it go out exactly like they knew at least they knew they were getting canceled and, like they had an opportunity to to finish it up to put freaks back in the yeah in the role <laughs> the, the, plus the tights. I, I think he directed those episodes He's very much involved. As a matter of fact, kind of tangentially to this, I hear that Jonathan Frakes is being tapped to direct uh, an episode of The Orville. Oh, nice. I like that. So he's coming and he's going to be bringing some uh, guest stars too, some big names. You think we're going to get some uh, uh, Will Wheaton in there? 
That would be cool. I wouldn't doubt it because I remember his his uh, Jonathan Frakes episodes of Leverage usually had Will Wheaton in it. I don't know if you ever watched Leverage or not. I have not, but I'd be down. I like Will Wheaton. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. I, like I said, I don't know too much about Discovery, how they would incorporate that, but I think it is interesting. I mean, after Star Trek, you have um, Patrick Stewart going on to doing the X-Men movies, obviously, but then he also had that um, short-lived TV show on Stars where he played a Bill O'Reilly-type person who has a, his own like news magazine show or whatever it's considered you know i don't even remember that yeah it was it was a co- it was a couple years ago that it was out uh, but yeah it didn't it didn't last too long but it is supposed everything i heard about it was it was really good i just never watched it you know outside of star trek for the longest time the only other thing i knew him from was dune and the movie conspiracy theory so you're saying before x-men Yes, okay. before X-Men. Like, those are the only things that I remember him being involved in. And then, of course, when X-Men came out, then for a whole generation, he was Professor X, not Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Correct. It's like, whatever. But, um, I mean... <laughs> that's how he was for me, because I wasn't a big Star Trek fan, so... But, I mean, when you cast somebody that's, like, so perfectly the part, and just, you know, at least it helped defeat one typecast and just True. put him into another. Yeah. Uh, I remember he was in the movie Masterminds. I don't know if you, you remember that movie, but it's about uh, terrorists uh, taking over a boarding school, and he was the head terrorist, which I know it sounds a lot like Toy Soldiers, which was another movie that had Sean Astin in it, where terrorists take over a boarding school and the kids have to fight back. But this is just the one kid having to fight back against uh, Patrick Stewart's character. I want to say both of those sound really familiar. But I can't well, quite place them. Toy Soldiers also has Will Wheaton in it. Ah, snaps. Yeah. It all comes back around. There you go. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Look for Patrick Stewart or John Luke Picard on Star Trek Discovery. Now, uh, the, the, the writer of Venom, the upcoming Venom movie, um, Richard Wenk, has been... Oh, I'm sorry. Not the, the Venom movie. The Equalizer movie, Equalizer 2, Richard Wank, he is going to be involved in the Venom Universe movies over at Sony. Uh, That's what I'm calling it. I'm not calling it the Spider-Man universe anymore because from what it sounds like, who knows if Spider-Man's going to even be involved in these movies, even though it's his his characters. Can we call it the Sinister Sonyverse? The Sinister Sonyverse, that's fine. I like that too. But uh, Richard Wank has been tapped to write the Kraven the Hunter movie for Sony. Uh, I was having this conversation with someone about this before. We have we have all these essentially ven- or, uh, villain movies from the Spider-Man universe that are going to be made into movies, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't just have a straight-up vi- villain movie, like a movie that's just about a villain being a villain. I, 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 I can't really think of one other than maybe Split, but there's other things going it's on there. Despicable Me. Yeah, but he's, he ends up being a hero. Well, he's he's the the lesser of two villains in that one. But that's what I'm saying. That's this is what I'm trying to get at is that they're essentially they're going to make all these movies, but they have to at the very least be anti-heroes. They have to be they have to do heroic things. So then, what is Spider-Man actually going to be fighting in his his movies if all of these characters that we see in the other stuff are anti-heroes? Well, I mean, they're obviously going to take care of the more dangerous bad guys that Spider-Man wouldn't be able to cope with himself. And then his job is going to be to wrangle the lesser of the bad guys. Cause so he's just going to be fighting uh, shockers all day? Basically, yeah. Okay. Whereas his big baddies like Craven the Hunter and uh, Venom are just going to be like, oh, well, we're heroes too. So I'm really looking forward to when The Spot gets his own movie. The Spot? Yes. <laughs> um, but, I mean, what do you – how do you – I love Craven the Hunter. Craven the Hunter is one of my favorite – spider-man villains there is i just don't know if i want to see a movie about him i have nothing really i mean apart from like maybe the action scenes that we'll see where he's tracking down his prey or whatever whoever that may be and yeah the, but what is that gonna movies. be i mean aren't we also getting a jared leto morbius movie yeah but to me morbius was already a anti-hero 
for from the comic books. So he's basically another Venom. He's got the whole like I have a dark side that I need to feed, and I'm only gonna feed on the bad people or whatever. I mean, that's Venom. True. Just a previous Venom, and also could be closely, more closely associated with Blade too, because then you have a vampire hunter right after a vampire that's not a bad guy yeah i mean that's what uh i mean a lot of people have said that uh 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 blade i mean i don't see a lot of people said but you know morbius ended up being a bigger part of blade than he did of spider-man eventually so yeah if you think about it the dynamic between morbius and blade is like the same between punisher and daredevil they're both vigilantes, just one is more extreme and wants to take everyone else out, too. <laughs> so, Mr. Morbius is the more extreme one? I would say Blade is the more extreme one. But he doesn't kill people. I mean, he kills familiars. He kills vampires, he kills vampires but those are people. Fo- like, oh, well, Now you're saying they don't have souls? No, they gave up their souls. That's it's <laughs> literally what the vampire is. Ah, touche. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I said, I just don't know how I feel about all these villain characters getting their own movies. Like the Silver and Black movie I thought sounded great. Like the idea of this international spy and... Or, I'm sorry, international mercenary and uh, jewel thief kind of teaming up together to do whatever they so need to do. So that would have been Silver Sable and Black Cat? Yeah. Oh. But uh, that kind of got put on the shelf indefinitely so we'll see what happens there yeah all right uh over at uh dr sleep what have you what do you know anything about the the book dr sleep the sequel to the shining um well basically that it's the sequel to the shining and um so it's it's danny torrance growing up i i haven't read the book myself but it's danny torrance growing up and we know that uh Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, Ewan McGregor, is going to be playing adult Danny Torrance. Uh, I assume his powers are still around, so he's dealing with that. What what does Dr. Sleep have to uh, reference to? I have no idea. But we are getting some more casting news out of that movie. We have um, Zahn McLaren, who plays... Uh, uh, what did we come up with his name was from Westworld? I didn't say it was T'Chaka, <laughs> although I think that's incorrect. I don't think that's right, but uh, yes, he, he plays uh, the Native American... The Ghost Nation warrior. Ghost Nation, yeah, warrior on Westworld, and... Uh, oh, Akachete. There Akacheta. you go. Uh, he has been cast as Crow Daddy for Dr. Sleep, and Rebecca Ferguson, most recently of Mission Impossible Fallout, has also been cast in Doctor Sleep as a villainess. What do you think about those two casting? Well, Akacheta was really, really cool in Westworld, so I have no problems with him. I haven't seen Mission Impossible, so I know nothing about Ferguson. Like, did you not watch the last, or part five? I don't think I've seen any since maybe the third one. Well, you're missing out, sir. I Ghost I'm, Protocol is my favorite out of the five. As a matter of fact, six. I haven't even seen the second one. I've seen the first and the third, and that's <laughs> it. You are missing out. I'm sure I am. I'll, I'll get to them eventually. Yeah, sure. I mean, part two has been out since, what, the year 2000? <laughs> and you haven't watched it yet? Well, to be fair, I saw the first and the third in theaters. So Okay. <laughs> I, at least when I went, I went to support it. Okay. Um... But yeah, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is a great actress, so uh, I'm excited to see what she does in in, in those in, in her role. She's also been cast in the Men in Black movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth and what's her name? Also in Westworld, also in Ragnarok. Her name's right there. Anthony Hopkins. Nope, <laughs> the female character, the one that plays Valkyrie. Oh, Tessa. Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Thank you. Uh, the, I mean, Tessa Thompson and, and Chris Hemsworth are supposed to be playing the the Men in Black officers, um, whereas I believe Rebecca Ferguson is also going to be playing. She's it says she's going to be playing a, a lead role. I would assume since all the other lead roles are out, that she's unless she's going to be playing. You know, the, that means there's three actors that were in Thor Ragnarok that are also in Westworld. Who's the, who's the, okay? The other Hemsworth. Oh, that's right. He did show up in Ragnarok as the 
as, as the Thor, Thor, actor Thor, yeah, and then Anthony Hopkins, yeah, yeah. I bet you there's probably more. Yeah, you didn't even sure. think about it. All these Paramount people. <laughs> uh, but I, I bet she plays a, a villain in Men in Black as well. I could see it. So, uh, are you looking forward to a Men in Black movie? Another Men no. in Black movie? No, 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 I haven't seen the last one. The last one's not good. I hated the second one because of how... Like, you hated the second one? Like, yes. hate is a pretty, pretty strong word. Well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, for them to just go and undo everything that they'd set up in the first movie, which is, I want to lose all my memories, go back to my normal life, hook up with my sweetheart. And then it starts with, yeah, that didn't work out. Let's get my memories back. I mean, like, why? What was the point of all this? Well, I mean, obviously they didn't know they were going to be making a second movie, but, like... Well, they could have written a different way around it. And I think it's not entirely their fault. I think it happened right around the time of the writer's strike. Oh. So it probably was like, let's just slap something together. But it was a really weak movie. Like, in general, it was just... Not I don't know. I, I like I like the second one. I like uh I like all the Rosario Dawson stuff. I well, like, I like Rosario Dawson. Period. And <laughs> if I have any soft spot for it, it's because of her. But I really just did not like it. The random Michael Jackson cameo in the oh well that's just Antarctic with the penguins was yeah, just weird. It's terrible. But the the plant villain was just like ridiculous, and like. Every oh, because a giant bug villain, giant cockroach villain in the first one, it wasn't ridiculous? That was, like, campy but fun. This was just, like, ah, uh, really? But this, that, I mean, those are, those the villains and those are, are throwbacks to the, you know, the 50s alien movies with the giant bugs and the plants that eat you and terrible I mean, costumes. That's, that's not to say that the movie didn't have some fun stuff in it. I really love the, uh, the Men in Black a documentary that the video store plays <laughs> that David Cross has. Yes, that that was really like a like a cool little uh, kind of way to you know reveal exposition. There right. was some some cool ideas. I'm just saying the execution was really like it needed some more rewrites and drafts to really get a, a, a entertaining movie that was on the same level as the first while maintaining the camp. This one just feels like they didn't even try. And I was like, well, let's just do what we did in the first one. Just make it a plant instead of a bug and then you have the same thing and give her a sidekick because johnny knoxville's in right now hey i liked johnny knoxville i like johnny knoxville too <laughs> or paul johnson whatever his real name is but still here's what his real name is you know what he's a person yeah but this is the name he's decided to go by he's built his career around that it's like it's like dwayne johnson in the rock like yeah People are calling him by Dwayne Johnson now, but people are always going to know him as The Rock. And he embraces it. He's The Rock on his social media. Well, I don't think anybody can challenge him on it. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I I guess I'm a little excited about it just to see what they end up doing because they, they, they brought back Emma Thompson. Yeah. Her character from that. the third movie. Cause she takes over. She took over for Rip Torn. Rip Torn. Did he die? Is that why he wasn't in that movie? I, in the second one. No, 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 not the character. Did the actor actually die? Oh, I don't think Rip Torn's dead. You don't think so? I don't think so. I guess that's something that the internet can find out for us, but yeah, no need to look it up right now. Uh, but yeah, she was in. The, I remember she was in the third movie. I just don't remember if she was in the future or if she was in the past she was in the, or the present or in she the was past. in the present okay because she was asking them like what's up where's uh what was his name oh when he asked yeah. her where jay was yes or no k k yeah and she's like i don't know who you're talking about yeah it's like what and that's when he goes back in time and i mean i really like the the combination of like young tommy lee jones is uh james brolin no that was awesome. Like, I did is, like that. How do you... You mean Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin. I said James Brolin? Yeah. That's his father, right? It's, yeah, that's okay. his father. But I don't think I'm the only one that makes that mistake. But, like, it, Josh Brolin isn't young enough that I could sit there and believe that he's going to get older and look like Tommy Lee Jones. Like, I, like if they had picked someone in their early 20s, I could, be like, I could suspend my disbelief enough, but they picked someone in their early 40s? Well, that was a really rough 30 years. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Plus, I'm sure they have some alien tech that, you know, prolonged his life while still aging him horribly. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't mind to see, because I, I love that people are recognizing 
Chris Hemsworth for his comedic chops and you know we don't need to see more movies like black hat which was just terrible he is a funny bastard he is he's funny he's a very comedic funny comedic actor like ghostbusters i thought that was great for, for him yeah he's probably one of the few saving graces of that movie cause... i like ghostbusters 2016 whatever year that came out like i think they, they did a great job I, I love kate mckinnon you know normally i like her i didn't like her in that movie i liked uh what was the Leslie Jones? Leslie Jones, yeah. Leslie, Leslie Jones is great too. Yeah, she was good in that because she played it more straight. That's the problem is that she was really too self-aware of the goofiness of it. Whereas, Kate McKinnon, yes, or Leslie Jones. Uh, Kate McKinnon is too self-aware. She was just, yeah, she, she was just like completely just chewing up the scenery whenever she was on camera and i loved it i thought that was great part of what well i mean i guess we could just get into a debate about why the original was superior but then yeah but see in the original that's peter vankman's character he's bill murray is chewing up the scenery in that because he knows that this is a goofy movie but not as a goofball though like he is chewing it up just by being like the straightest out of all of them okay but you're being straight in a completely outrageous situation so thus making it goofy kinda whereas Kate McKinnon was just being goofy like but she's just super excited about the science and that's what I loved like she's creating things she's like I mean, she's she's Egon on crack I guess I, I would say definitely on some uppers <laughs> I mean to pause in the middle of a ghost hunting little like expedition to put on a crazy wig and stand there like a mannequin to scare one of her co-workers <laughs> and then just have the gall to say, like, oh, is this too much? I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine any of the Ghostbusters doing that. Okay, fine. <laughs> but you have... Uh, <laughs> well, you have Peter. You have Vankman, Dr. Vankman, showing up to a date with a uh, tranquilizer and a, <laughs> and a hypodermic needle. What does that mean? You know, there are some dark recesses to Dr. Vinkman that are better left unexplored. Yeah. I think we should just move on to the next story. Fine, fine. Next story is definitely something that's going to be interesting to you, I guess. Or I mean, it's interesting to me, too, but it's it's definitely going to strike a chord more with you. J.J. Abrams tweeted out this week, Bittersweet starting this next chapter uh without carrie but thanks to an extraordinary cast and crew we are ready to go grateful for ryan johnson and special thanks to george lucas for creating this incredible world and beginning a story of which we are lucky to be a part of hashtag nine uh and he sent out a picture he tweeted a picture to go along with that which is uh of a camera rig looking at what i have to assume is um John Boyega as Finn. I think that's very blurry in the back. Yeah, it's one of those artistic shots where we're focusing on the freaking equipment instead of what's happening in the background. Well, you know, they never, they don't send out any real pictures of what's happening on set in these Star Trek movies. It's always stuff on the side, and you, and then super fans or you know whoever like zoom in and depixelate other shit and or it'll be like an innocuous shot of like a corner of something Mm -hmm. yeah i know how they roll (laughs) but that means pre-production or production on uh episode nine has started that'd be so awesome if uh finn or uh john boyega or even mark hamill because he's coming back they just started tweeting buddy (laughs) if they just started tweeting like exact copies of whatever James Gunn had tweeted that got him fired just to see if that would cause Disney to like continue the trend I mean look I I like what you're saying but I wouldn't want anybody to to tweet out more rape and pedophilia jokes even if it is just to test the boundaries I would say just to call out Disney on their hypocrisy, but yeah, I mean, we already know they're hypocritical. I mean, we know about Sound of the South or whatever that Song of the South, Song of the South, yeah, yeah. and you know, uh, Roman Polanski, not Roman Polanski, but the the guy who made Powder. They 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 own the rights to the movie Powder, and that guy was pretty terrible. So. Is it Roman Polanski? It's not Roman Polanski. It's a, it's another director that got. A, 
uh, I don't know if he was actually convicted of of uh, pedophilia or not, but yeah, he's pretty horrible too. Mm. So, uh, it's it, look, it's it's there. It's hypocritical, but it's <laughs> their it's their right to fire whoever the hell they want. It's their company, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision. And the people calling for them to rehire James Gunn just need to realize that it's not going to happen. And if they did offer the job back to James Gunn, why would he accept it? Yeah, that's all true. I would just, I mean, I have no experience in the industry. I have nothing to come from. I am not James Gunn. So I couldn't tell you what he's thinking or what he would be thinking. But I, to me personally, I'd be like, no, I don't want to come back. I don't want to work for you people after what you did publicly humiliating me like that. Would you want to go back? I mean, I know it's a paycheck, but I don't think that he's hard up for money or options. I don't know. I bet you he's going to have a tough time getting some big studio work after this. I mean, he'll probably still be able to make small projects, but I think his days of blockbusters are done. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting to think about. I mean, obviously, Sony decided to not go ahead with his panel at San Diego Comic-Con, even because it... The, the the news of this stuff dropped the day of his panel at San Diego Comic Con, and they canceled him out of the Sony panel. So real quick, if uh, let's say they pull a uh, uh, Justice League and they decide to hire James Gunn to like steer um, some DC property, mm-hmm. what would you like to see someone like James Gunn tackle in the DC verse? Oh wow, uh, that is a great question. Um, if they were to do like a, if they were to do like an actual Teen Titans live action, I think you do great there or a Titans. Um, I think, uh, maybe a booster gold, uh, blue beetle movie. He would do great, great as Mm. I think. What about Legion of superheroes? (sighs) I mean, he would do great in Legion of Superheroes, yeah, but I just, I can't stand the Legion of Superheroes. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I never thought that their stories were interesting. So, uh, I I mean, I wouldn't be ex- I would be excited just because of James Gunn. Um, I I don't know. Do you have anything? I mean, would he be able to do? A, would he be able to save the Suicide Squad? Maybe, but they already have Gavin O'Connor directing that one, which yeah. I'm a big fan of Gavin O'Connor too. I don't know. I'd like to if if he were to change sides, come on over. I could see him doing something like um, dealing with um, like the well. I mean, obviously, like what he's known for now in the Marvel verse is like the cosmic side of things. Mm-hmm. So maybe something with the Furies. Well, I mean, we already have Ava DuVernay doing the New Gods movie. Oh, they are. So doing that? she's probably gonna tap into the furies okay um other than that i don't know like definitely a team environment type movie um but i don't know what else would be a good fit for him i don't he whatever he worked on i know he'd knock it out of the park but yeah um i i I really do think the booster gold blue beetle movie would be pretty great that would be yeah that would be pretty cool as long as it did the 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 booster gold and the blue beetle that i remember from the mid-90s I really don't like this booster gold they have now, or blue beetle they have now. Right? Oh, like Jaime, Jaime Reyes? Yeah, booster, with the, the scarab and yeah, all that no, stuff. They, yeah. If they did it, if he did it, he would definitely do that version, the version that you you want. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll see. Oh, maybe uh, are they still doing a Green Lantern Corps? Yeah, they don't have a director for that yet, so he could do a Green Lantern Corps yeah, there you movie. Go. I could see that, especially if they added the actual spectrum, because that would like. The way Heath works with color and space, right? Look awesome. And I think with Jeff Johns writing the movie, uh, there'll definitely be some light spectrum, emotional spectrum yeah. references. And he's in. already done Ego, the Living Planet, and that would be a real easy transition to, to doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, there we go. It's coalescing. There you go. Uh, all right. So we got a picture. I guess the first official picture for terminator six i don't think they've given it a subtitle yet technically it's terminator three yeah i guess technically in the storyline yeah 
uh, but in production wise, oh yeah, it's like eight or nine or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, the picture they released is of the three women that will be the essential part of this new Terminator movie. Um, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. Mackenzie would be part six. Yeah. Yeah, Mackenzie Davis as Grace and Danny Ramos as Natalie Reyes. Um, oh, that's not John Connor. That is not John Connor. That is Mackenzie Davis. Well, yeah. I mean, like, Mackenzie Davis is not playing John Connor. I don't think so. Why would you say that? I don't know. I just figured John Connor would be in the shot. (laughs) Mackenzie Davis is a lady. Oh. (laughs) Wow, I have gender differentiation problems. (laughs) Hey, doesn't that mean something that at least I'm not assuming gender? I I guess that's true. There you go. Uh, But Mackenzie Davis, uh, The Martian, Halt and Catch Fire. uh, Oh, that girl. She's from um, San Junipero. San Junipero, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's Mackenzie Davis. Uh, I think that is the most important part of this picture because you see in the picture she is wearing a uh, tank top wife beater shirt. And she she has obvious scars on her skin where it goes through her arms and uh, on her chest. And it's very surgical looking. So... I don't know. Maybe we're getting a, another version of like Sam Worthington's character in what was that one called? That was uh, that Salvation, was Salvation, Terminator Salvation. That might be a human hy- uh, human Terminator hybrid. That's uh, a plot line that I felt deserved more care. A human Terminator hybrid, mm-hmm. a human brain in there, but I mean, possibly. Like um, I don't. I think we've mentioned this before, but in the original draft of Terminator Salvation, and I think they even began shooting that way until the internet discovered that that's what the plot was. Um, Sam Worthington was supposed to sacrifice himself um, and uh, give up his body to John Connor. Oh! So they were going to transplant John Connor's brain into the Terminator body, and uh, basically, John Connor, the John Connor that we would see. In the the future scene of Terminator 2, uh, one of the reasons why he was so scarred was because they had to, like, sew him back up, basically. <laughs> and, oh. Um, yeah, so that could be something that we're seeing there. So. I, I, I definitely see. That's one thing I, I find interesting about the Terminator um, franchise. Like, any time, like unused storylines, and but then also used storylines from other, fran- like the Sarah Connor Chronicles, like get used in the movies and stuff like that. They just they're everything gets used kind of thing. Yeah, in Terminator Two, there was a lot of deleted material that had to do with them. Eventually, in that future war sequence, um, it was supposed to continue with them breaking into Skynet, uh, getting the time displacement machine, uh, throwing Kyle Reese through it, and then realizing that the machines had already sent another Terminator that was the T one thousand. So then they had to quickly reprogram the the T-800 on the spot and send it back in order to save John Connor, you know, a few years later. Um, All of that was cut out for budget reasons, but then they included some of that in Terminator 2, The Ride, or the live show. I think it was called, was it? Wasn't it called Terminator 3D, The Ride? Or something like that, yeah. But yes, the breaking in the Skynet and stuff, that was used there. And then uh, then later they included it in uh, Terminator Genesis. Where they actually showed you breaking yeah. in and using the time machine. So. And, but then it also is a little bit of that is in uh, Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machines. Like the whole re- reprogramming on the fly and sending the, an 800 back to save John Connor. Again. Yeah, they had to do a lot of reprogramming apparently like right before. And <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. killing John Connor and yeah. all that. So... I, I don't know. Are, are you excited about a new Terminator movie? And where? What? I mean, it sounds like Tim Miller, who directed the first Deadpool movie, has definitely got an idea of what he wants to do. I want to be excited, but here's the problem. Part of what um, I want to call it imprinting because I don't know any best way to describe it or better way. But I really imprinted on the the directing style and especially the cinematography that James Cameron brought to the first two movies. Mm-hmm. I think Terminator 2 is like a masterclass of filmmaking. Really? It has everything in it. 
It has like obviously you had like a you know what was he like a ten or eleven year old kid that never acted before in his life, and he turns in an amazing performance. See, I I don't feel that way about um, Edward Furlong's performance. I really don't like his acting in that movie. I don't like his acting. Period. You think it could have been done better by a different yeah I do eleven year old I. Edward Furlong was not 11 in that movie. I think he was. He was not 11. How old was he? He's probably 15. I don't think so. Uh, I will look it up. I think he's he was meant to play like a like a 10-year-old, but I think in real life he was like 11 or 12. No, I, that cannot be true. Well, we'll find out later. <laughs> we can post-date this with a correction <laughs> if not. Anywho, but one of the things that really stands out to me is not just James Carmen's like expert use of the available CGI that I think still holds up to this day. And it also made use of stop motion animation. It made use of rear projection. Where was the stop motion animation? Um, a lot of those future scenes with like the robots and the T-800s were stop motion. Really? Yes. Hmm. Uh, now they can do it all with CGI, but back then they only really could afford to use it for the T1, uh, T1000. Um, and yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those were full-size puppets, so it also used puppetry. But then the background ones were stop-motion animation, as well as the the hunter killers. Mm-hmm. Um, those were either miniatures or stop-motion animation. Um, just the way that he used uh, every technique available, and the cinematography was so awesome. Like the way he shoots night scenes were just like amazing like if you ever watch i have like every edition up until they started making blu-rays i had every edition of the dvd that they made for that (laughs) because every time they came out with new special features i had to watch it and i sincerely believe that if i was more motivated and a little bit more creative i could have just used all of those behind the scenes for the one for robocop 2 was really well really good because it walks you through step by step every part of the process from like writing the script to like pre-production to coming up with the special effects do you know how they did the special effects for robovision no in uh, robocop no they just took a glass pane they did these really really fine lines with sharpie and put it over the lens of the camera to give it that scan line look oh wow that's all it was and it looks awesome it looks like you're watching it through like robocop's like (laughs) visual sensors or whatever the hell so Edward Furlong was born in 1977, and uh, Judgment Day came out in 1991. So if they filmed in 1990, he would have been 13. So he was, yeah, so he was put him in 12, 13 during filming. Yeah. So we were it split down it right between middle. between yeah. the two of what we two. So of what we I said. heard young, you went old. That's big Neil. <laughs> I still don't think he was a good actor. Wow. I guess that's a matter of opinion. I guess so. Okay. I couldn't have done that. <laughs> you don't know that. Don't sell yourself short. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Let me see. What's a what's an Edward Furlong line that he says? I was like, if you really want to shine him on, you say, hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, see, I can't sell it. <laughs> I think you did just as well as Edward Furlong did. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Matt Reeves has talked a little bit more about his The Batman movie. Uh, as it's been widely speculated that it's going to be a Batman year, it's going to be the movie's going to be based off of Batman Year One. He has come out and flat out said, "Nope, that's not what this movie's going to be about." We are getting, we are working on getting our our draft in the next couple of weeks. Uh, right now, my head is totally into the script. Right now, I'm going to be leaving here to go back to work on the script. Uh, so yeah, there is a way in which all this connects to the DC universe. Uh, to the DC universe as well. We're one piece of many pieces. It's all DC world. I don't know where it says that it's not going to be year one, but he he's come he's come out and said it's not going to be year one. Can I take a random guess and say that uh, script opens with a shot of nighttime alleyway outside a movie theater? You don't know that. Uh, you know, a couple with their small child eating popcorn is making their way, and then making uh, their way downtown. Yes, moving fast. <laughs> Sorry, come on, finish it. I don't know. Finish it. Is it faces past? You <laughs> and you're homebound. And they're homebound. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I, I don't know, dude. 
it might still be a, a year one type movie, but it's not going to be based off a of year the year one book that Frank Miller wrote. It's, it's have we heard rumors that this one? is going to feature the penguin? Okay, so the rumor that went out that went out a while ago was that the penguin is either going to be used in the Birds of Prey movie as the villain or in Batman the Batman uh, movie. It made sense that he'd be in Birds of Prey because a penguin is a bird. <laughs> True. But then uh, they came out when they announced all the different characters that were going to be in uh, the Birds of Prey movie. It was noticed that the the, the villain was going to be a female villain. So um, that leaves that the idea that the Penguin will be the villain in the Batman. But who knows? They also said that it's supposed to be more of a detective story. And there's no real detectiving to do when you're fighting the Penguin. Well, I mean, there's the whole mafia angle, I guess. That's not detective work. That's him just going around punching <laughs> thugs and well, he mob to, guys. Well, he has to put it together. Put it together that the mob is killing people? I think we all know that already. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I'm sure the penguin's not going to be like... He's going to be like the kingpin, you know? Like, he's a rich guy, but you don't quite know his underworld... I mean, we know his underworld connections because, I mean, hello, he's been around for, like, 80 years, but in the reality of the, mo- of the, the story, I guess we have to... Except that, you know, nobody knows who the penguin is yet or <laughs> what his connections are to the underground. Whatever. As long as we eventually get a Heart of Ice movie, I mean, I... I <laughs> That's I'll, all you want? I'll just slog through all the crap they dish out until we get to that point. They're going to have to eventually. Hey, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, I mean, is there anything about this Batman movie that right now that you're looking forward to? Nothing whatsoever. No, Matt Reeves is the director... Nope. A possible recasting of Batman. Nope. There is there I mean, I'm kind of curious what the Batmobile is going to look like, but nothing's ever beaten the 89 Burton Batmobile. How for dare me, you? So. Get the hell out of here. Oh, are you a Tumblr guy? I would prefer a Tumblr over the that ridiculous. That's what, why. Because it was. <laughs> was it a. What was it? A, a, it's not a Camaro. What's the, what's the other type? It's with the C. Uh, Corvette. Corvette, yeah. Corvette kit. <laughs> whatever i think is ridiculous looking it's it was over the top though it was meant to be i mean each i mean obviously the fucking batmobile couldn't make it through even like a small speed bump that they, had like that, no not clearance. that one that's for sure yes exactly and it needed help with like firing grappling hooks <laughs> to make a turn yes but it looks so badass i mean over functionality yes the tumbler in all of its jagged ends and odds and like you can't even tell what it is it's like a transformer from michael bay's movies it's just and i'm okay with that metal (laughs) it is more functional and that's cool i like that it can like roll off of rooftops that's something that this batmobile could never do it just looks so cool though (laughs) as much as i hate burton's style for batman he knows how to make like a money shot (laughs) <laughs> and that reveal of the Batmobile and watching it just roll through the countryside with fire and like those w- exaggerated wings and that turbine engine. It's stupid, but I love it. <laughs> and the Ben Affleck one just really sh- was really crappy. Yeah. Did we see an actual Batmobile? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. It, it was kind of a, a mix between the Tumblr and the 89 Burton one. Like kind it was kind of like yeah. a hybrid between the two of them. I mean, it looked more like the bat from the Dark Knight, but with wheels. Uh, yeah, 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 I can see that. Kind of looked like that. Yeah. At least it wasn't that stupid wall crawler thing from Justice League. Oh, that freaking robot yeah. thing. Yeah, I was like, what is this? Come on. Anyways. Uh, so much I, for the realism of the... I guess that's the <laughs> biggest thing. The biggest milestones for me is when whenever they decide to do a new Batman, it's it's what's the suit going to look like and what's the, the, the Batmobile going to look like? Those, those are the important things. Well, the Batsuit, when the first Batman vs. Superman stills came out, were like, whoa, they're going to do like a really retro style... And then I was like, well... That's the only thing I got going for me for Batman in the Batman v Superman uh, Justice League movies is his suits, I think, look pretty cool. So Yeah. Because they're not the, the formed rubber anymore. Like, And the, and the, and the cape actually looks cool. Because that was the biggest problem with me in the, the Nolan Batmans. The cape looks like, like a weird blanket. It looks leathery or something. No, it doesn't look leathery. No. I think that's the problem for me. Like it looks like <laughs> it's it, fleece. Yeah, no, I mean not even fleece. It looks like a like a it looks like a sheet with like 
like sparkles on it. I don't know. The black sheet. You know what would be cool? If they actually went completely 180 and stopped trying to do this hyper-realism or stylized realism and then just do like purple and gray or not purple and gray but the blue and gray right right from like the original yeah way back when yeah just do it like super friend status like the literally like 1985 super friends like you know light blue cowl and cape we with don't the, know with no. the gray bodysuit and the yellow bat symbol batman fucking 66 over yes. here yes how dare yes. you I, I, how dare Obviously, you? there'd be more texture. It wouldn't just be spandex, but like uh, Adam West used to say, he didn't need any padding. That was all solid Batman. <laughs> that was all not solid m- muscle. That was just... <laughs> <laughs> he was just a big guy. Relaxed muscle. Uh, all right. Well, hopefully we get to see more stuff coming out of that soon. Netflix. Netflix acquires George Orwell's Animal Farm from Andy Serkis's, uh, Andy Serkis to direct with Matt Reeves producing. So go, talking about Matt Reeves directing, now Matt Reeves producing his his uh, actor from the Bat, uh, the Planet of the Apes movies, Andy Serkis, making Animal Farm. You know... That's what, a book that I've never read. Wouldn't it, There's a movie, too. I think you can watch it for free on YouTube. The really? animated movie. An animated movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it has... An- Anthropomorphic animals, like literally overthrowing their farm. It's like a play on communism. Oh, I, I understand it was is completely political and yeah. it, it's, it's all kinds of stuff. But like, I just never. It was. Uh, it's so funny. I don't know if it's a if it's a uh, uh, um, a spotlight on on public education in, in Yuma, Arizona, or what. <laughs> but like every time people talk about certain books that they we we had required reading in my classes. It's just the books that are most common. Like weren't the ones that we read. I don't know why. So I never read Animal Farm. Uh, we read things. We did read Lord of the Flies. I remember that. And and uh, you know the Native Son and I don't know other stuff. But yeah, I guess it depends. There are some areas where even simple books like To Kill a Mockingbird are banned now because they bring up a, a painful time in history that and is we did best read- forgotten. To Kill a Mockingbird. I remember reading that one. Yeah, I read that one. Um, well, yeah, so Animal Farm has to do with uh, literal farm animals overthrowing the farmers and instituting their own uh, animal democracy, which eventually devolves into corruption as well. <laughs> um, I think the pigs are, like, the ones that are running the show. And, uh, yeah, it's just... It's an interesting story for it's not very thinly veiled... Um, slam against capitalism and so on, but um, so do you remember when we were kids the, the Garfield cartoon? Garfield and Friends. Yes, the Garfield and Friends one. So yeah. the and Friends part, the other one when they would do the episodes where it's all the, the U.S. Acres. Yes, U.S. Acres. Yeah. Whenever someone mentions Animal Farm to me, that's the first thing I think about is the U.S. Acres. Well, with, it's funny you mention that because the name of the pig was Orson. Really? Yeah. So there you go. So there was a little bit of that going on. So they yeah. probably had they probably did that for a reason. It's like a whole like homage to that kind of thing. I would imagine so, yeah. Uh I mean, are you excited about whatever Andy Circus is going to be doing? I mean, is he going to be playing all the parts of these animal from work <laughs> animals or is he just going to get a lot of his buddies that he's worked with over the years? Well, he does have like his own motion capture studio, he now, does. I think. Yeah. He so does. I wouldn't be surprised if this was actually one of those like under the table type things. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to make this movie and hire my production company to do all the oh, well, yeah. stuff I mean, for it." I mean, yeah, actors have their own production companies, and those are the ones that usually are involved air quotes in making their movies. Now, it would be a totally wasted opportunity if, after something like this, Andy Circus doesn't make a movie called Andy's Circus, <laughs> where he just does exactly that. It's a circus like Pee Wee's Big Top or Big Top Pee Wee, <laughs> and he plays all the animals too. That'd be really cool. That'd be interesting. Um, you know, and I always like it when Andy Circus just plays a person. Like, I love his acting. Like, uh, well, Claw recently, and yeah, recently is Claw, but also uh, in the. The Magician's movie. Oh, the, the prestige. prestige. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where. I don't know much about it. So I, I guess I've, I'll probably end up watching. It. It's on Netflix. I'll end up watching it. 
I like him in uh, 13 going on 30. I, is he like a the promoter or something like that? Like He's like a, a supervisor promoter. or boss or something. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember too much of, of that movie, but uh, all right. So I, that's all the, the news that I have. Was there any other particular story that you wanted to talk about? Um, I thought I had something else, but I think I just lost it. So I think I'm good. So let's go ahead and talk about Electric Dreams. Crazy Diamond. Now, do you understand where the title of this episode comes from? Um, my only guess is, um, well, Crazy Diamond reminds me of Shine On You, Crazy Diamond, which is a Pink Floyd song. And that's where it's supposed to come from. And the only reason why I could even remotely think that it has anything to do with it is because uh, there's one scene in the whole show where, or the episode, where a random character calls uh, Steve Buscemi's character uh, Sid Barrett. Right. Which is Well, Ed, his name is Ed, but his last name is Barrett. And, yeah, but I could have sworn that the guy called him Sid for some reason. Oh, Um, Maybe. But anyway, so yeah, and Sid Barrett is the guy that Shine On You Crazy Diamond is based on by Pink Floyd. So I guess I kind of just put those together myself, and I guess you're confirming that that is, in fact, where, the, where the, it comes from. Yep. But is there anything more to it than that? Uh, the title is taken from the Pink Floyd song Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Crazy Diamond refers to the band's founder member, Sid Barrett. Ed is called Mr. Barrett, then Sid, in reference to the song he sang before, Octopus by Sid Barrett. Uh, based on the short story sales pitch by Philip K. Dick, parts of the filming took place in McLaren Technology Center in Working, Surrey. Uh, some of the extras are currently McLaren employees. The theme is a cover of Octopus, a solo single by ex-Pink Floyd frontman Sid Barrett, who eventually lost his mind to schizophrenia. He was later the subject of Pink Floyd's song, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, so I know you have thoughts on this episode. Um, and let me preface it then by saying this oh, his episode. Name is Ed Morris, not not Barrett. Oh, My they bad. called him Sid Morris. No, his name was Ed Morris, but someone calls him at Sid Barrett at some point. Yeah, yeah, the 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 crazy haired like pikey guy that was trying to deal in the little uh, head injection thingies. Okay, yeah. he calls him that, and I, when I heard that, I'm like, did he call him Sid Barrett? Like, what the hell? And that's when it clicked with me. I was like, oh, maybe that's why it's called Crazy Diamond or whatever. Which, okay, so. As is per usual, this episode had me going WTF. Um, usually the double T- WTF wears off around the halfway point. Mm-hmm. And then I start going, oh, okay. This episode was like a bigger WTF as it went along. It is every time they introduce something new, I just went, "What?" <laughs> and then, like, I, I couldn't describe this episode to somebody if I tried. <laughs> no, I you can't couldn't. summarize it. I can't tell you what it's really about. I can't place the symbolism. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. Uh huh. But it's like it. It feels like. You would have had to have taken acid to understand it or at least to write it because it's just so wacky. Although, again, I love the production design. I love the locations. Uh, This had a very Doctor Who feel to it with the cinematography being kind of slightly oversaturated. Mm -hmm. And uh, the interior of the living room kind of reminding me a little bit of the 11th Doctor's TARDIS Mm -hmm. with the weird shapes and the staircase down the middle and all that. Yeah. but yeah, like this was just like a fever dream of an episode of like you first of all you start off with the misdirect with the weird dream and then you back up to what happened before that dream. 7 days ago. And then you just there's all these little details that are not explained. They just they're just there. Like like the world is ending kind of kind of like food only lasts like a, a day, day or so and it's running out even faster and faster even though there's lush green everywhere there's grass yeah like apparently the their their coastline homes are like falling into the ocean due to erosion but yet there's like metal plates in the ground so it's not really eroding and then to me the earthquake at the end just comes out of nowhere like 
I, I really didn't feel like that was explained earlier in the episode that that could be happening at any time, but I guess if you... I don't know. This is like the middle part of a trilogy. Th- th- this episode, and I think you're absolutely right. This is like, what? Like, <laughs> I have no idea what I watched, what it, what was it about, like, what, what's the moral I'm supposed to be taking from this? Uh, I never had a moment of clarity. You know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of Terry Gilliam... Like anything any movie yeah. like the imaginarium the imaginarium of dr parnassus uh zero theorem uh-huh. i mean like it just had that surreal dreamlike quality where you're not sure quite what's happening and you kind of just got dropped off in the middle i mean I, I guess if anything this one most closely resembles the title of the show electric dreams because it feels like something i would come up with after i've had electroshock therapy <laughs> and just had like a crazy like hallucination and see and then like the the closest thing that I could see, like, like, so the fact that this one relates to Electric Dreams because Electric Dreams reminds me of uh, Blade Runner because that short story was what do androids dream dream of electric sheep? Like, obviously these Jack and Jills that they've created are proto replicants. They're very replicant ish. Yeah, I mean, because they only live for a certain amount of time. Replicants only live for a certain amount of time. And then you have these people, or replicants, or not replicants, but these Jack and Jills are also, are, either they are descendants of, or another version of, uh, these porcine human hybrids, and then there's people that, you know, have pig hearts, but then there are also people that are, that look like pigs, like, what is going on in this episode? I have no fucking clue. Steve Buscemi's character is a, some type of scientist that deals with uh whatever those berry things are the the q qc the, the spark of life that animates the the, the clone the, bodies the jack and jills the yeah. jack and jills or, yeah and then <sighs> you can inject one into a dying jack and jill and and that will make it so that their lives last longer yeah but why um i I don't know. Like, I there's there's so much that's not explained in here, and I guess it's just the storytelling way that it's done is that maybe we're not supposed to. Like, we're literally just dropped in the middle, and then just just run with it. Um, but that didn't work for me. No. <laughs> like I, I didn't hate the episode. I I definitely loved the visual style just because of its trippiness. But I was really left with just a big hanging what at the end. There's this never had a moment of resolution or clarity like the other episodes have so far. Right. Like this just literally was like I am no better off now <laughs> than when this started. And and, and there were so many times that this this episode just failed to hold my attention too. Like there was just times when I was just like okay, this is just dragging on. Like <laughs> this part is is boring as fuck. There is like Steve Buscemi's character and like this I mean Steve Buscemi is like the only recognizable person in this whole episode for me. I think maybe his boss, like I've seen him in something before, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, you know, the other some of the other characters, the the Jill character that sells the insurance that he does or does not fall in love with. I have no fucking clue if he is in love with her or not. Yeah, I was trying to make sure. Like, I was trying to understand. Like, did did they like sleep together? Or? I don't know. Who knows? I know I know they kiss at one point and that's about it. That's they, all that I know of. They share some drinks at the lighthouse or something. So yeah, he's all he has a place at a lighthouse. He has his own house. He also has a boat that he's working on. I mean, he has all this ex, you know extra money, but then he can't buy food that will last longer or food does it last long? You know, he get, tries to get into a fight with the guy who's doing the food recycling. I don't even know what that guy does. He obviously pumps out the garbage out of their house, but he can see all the garbage on his screen, and he knows what's going into his machine. And he he's like, ah, you guys aren't paying attention to when your food expires. Nothing lasts forever. Like, what the fuck is going on? That was the slogan of like the recycling company. It said nothing. Nothing's forever. Yeah. Yeah. But what the fuck does that mean? This this is like. I, I have a strong feeling that whoever worked on the Teletubbies worked on this episode. It just had that surrealness to it. <laughs> then why is it? And then the boss that gives him a raise after he's, he foils the robbery that he helped set up, like eventually comes out and tries to also 
rob Steve Buscemi and steal the the berries, the essence of life, so that and he it, can go sell it on the black market. Well, it also sounds like he knew of uh, Jill. Yeah, like, like he put that whole thing into into motion. Yeah. So, I mean, for anybody that's listening to this and hasn't seen the episode, if you're confused as fuck, I mean, watching it is not going to help. It's not. It really isn't. This is such a weird one. It, then there's the, the, the little girl that he takes hostage and then, like, lets her go. And then he, I mean, the minute he takes the injector out of Steve Buscemi's hand and drops his own gun, I was like, well, he's done. That was the dumbest thing that he could have done. The little girl picks up a gun right next to him and hands it to the lady. I was like, did you not see feel any of this happening around you? You have no situational awareness <laughs> although i do have to say that that jill like she has the quickest like gun draw after coming out of like those little instances where she looks like she's catatonic yeah like she's perfectly still and you don't even know if she's alive i was assuming that she wasn't second yeah and then like spam she just like whips it out and like has perfect aim and then the people that they're at that helps her get that spark of life like they're the ones that tried to kill her earlier in the episode and steal her shit. I don't understand why they're helping now. Not only that, but again, it's also not explained, but apparently everyone that's a Jack or a Jill also has like superhuman reflexes and agility. Cause like, well, that's where I think the whole replicant thing also comes. Yeah. Like they're, they were obviously made for a certain reason. They to, were like augmented biologically right. more than humans but yeah like so like a shootout happens she like books it she like leapfrogs out of there like freaking spider-man and then later on when they're exterminating the camp of these other well, i'm assuming they're also jackson jills i would assume um they uh like they're also coming out of the woodwork in the woods like jumping around like crazy and she just happens to take them all out because she's a better shot apparently Sure. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 and then the, the episode ends with like the Jill showing up at Steve Buscemi's house, talking to his wife, Sally. Uh, he gets back to the house after her and finds a note from Sally, I assume, saying, hey, I'm taking off with Jill because, because? I don't know if she fell in love with Jill, too, or not, or they already had this shit planned out beforehand. But then he gets on the boat, and they're there. Like... Were they just waiting there for him to come start the boat? Why didn't they just take off on the boat? And then they throw him overboard. Like, this this episode makes absolutely no fucking sense. All of the double crossing that happened reminded me so much of Wild Things. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the, especially with the it ending on the boat at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... I, And then it ends with, like, Steve Buscemi washing up on the remains of where his house i guess started falling into the ocean so he sees like the toy that um is a reference to an earlier conversation where they were saying how him and his wife were trying to conceive and they just couldn't right and they even tried in vitro and that didn't work yeah so like the little toy is like a you know symbolism of that i guess and so he washes up on shore he finds the record that he was listening to that he's listening throughout the whole episode yeah which i guess was sid barrett or something is and that Sid Barrett's record? I guess, from what I understand, and he's like he rolls over in the beach, which I can only imagine must have been freezing water, yeah. if that was over there in Europe. Um, and so he just like is laughing maniacally at just how everything has crumbled around him, and he's just like running his hands in a circular motion around the record. And in my mind, I just thought. Is he making that record play? That's with his what fingers? I was asking because he does that earlier in the episode too, like where he he puts his fingers around the the record and you hear music. Now, is that just for us, or is he actually hearing music? Is that a thing in the future? You can make the motion around a record and you can hear it now. Like I, maybe Braille technology is so good you can hear music on those now. <laughs> just really sensitive fingertips. I don't know. Who I, knows? We, like no I, one knows. I think we could write a term paper on this episode and still not have an answer. It's just that out there. This episode is so frustrating and and just 
different than everything else that we've seen in this show so far. And just, in any show that we've seen. You know, that's anything. true, too, yeah. I mean, the pig thing really just really tripped me out at some point because you don't see it clearly the first time that it happens. When she waves at the... Yeah, he's just like, that was a weird-looking lady. Yeah. <laughs> and then later she stops and she's turned around. And that's when uh, Sally, I think her name was, the wife. Well, yeah, the wife's is name is like, Sally. hey, uh, let me ask you something. And like that's when she turns around and I'm like, oh, God, she is a pig. <laughs> Like I wasn't just being a chauvinist, and then she's yeah, and then it's like oh, you know, they get the, they're having this conversation through her window of her car, and and I mean I don't even know what that pig lady's function is. Like I kind of just imagine her being like that checkpoint where they see if you have vegetables in your car when you're going to California. Well, like, see, I I assume that she was supposed to be like the the first security guard before you get into the 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 building that Steve Buscemi works at. Like I I feel like. Sally also works for that company, but but you never see her go there. You're right. You always it, to me it always looked like they were going in opposite directions every you're, time they left their house. You're right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't what know. What is happening here? This this. <sighs> you want to feel this times like ten? Watch Tideland. I've watched Tideland, and that oh, it, wait. it's exactly this. You're right. <laughs> it's so that's right. We've seen that before. I remember now. Yeah, that's. Oh. Or Southland Tales. Southland Tales exactly the same too. Yeah, it's like, what it's the like, fuck is going what on? What the fuck is happening? I kind of like those movies when I'm in a certain mood. I was not expecting that for this episode, so it was just like left, just really like, I don't know, like holding the bag. It just felt really empty afterwards. Like, I don't know what just happened, but I feel like I wasted an hour of my life. <laughs> exactly. That's why I was like, uh, I, uh, I don't know, I don't I mean, know what I'm going to say. not to say I hated it. I'm just like, oh, I, I hated it. I yeah I didn't hate it I just I I just feel like weird now I'm like well I don't know like it, you know what it is <laughs> and I'm gonna delve into what you usually bring to the conversation <laughs> okay, here do it it's uh it's 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 not hitting the climax in sex it's like we're just pushing, wow. you know it's just over and over of you know it's almost weird enough to be interesting but no resolution yes exactly <laughs> like if he would have woke up and it would have been all simulation at the end i'd be like okay fine i'm okay <laughs> with this you know but no it's it's nothing nothing happens it tells me nothing there's no moral what was the moral like he shouldn't cheat on his wife he you know he should stay loyal to his company don't trust weird women that come talk to you like kind of thing what the fuck is this shit episode about Live for the day is something they keep mentioning, but oh, or maybe it's squeeze the day. Squeeze the day. <laughs> I and then his wife. What is? It? I think stretch the logic would probably be a better fit. Oh, fuck, dude. I don't know. I I really have nothing else to say about this episode because there's nothing to say about this episode. It's yeah. just so fucking weird and and nothing. I'm gonna give this episode two blue balls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two angry, frustrated blue balls. <laughs> so angry <laughs> so if you have an opinion about uh this episode of electric dreams or any of the stories we talked about we'd love to hear from you because i need some kind of clarity I, and i welcome it if you if you can tell me like hey this is what the episode is about i will probably be like okay fine cool because you're giving me something i want to hear from somebody that that liked this episode like just anything anything what, what was it? Is, it is it a commentary on the plight of human mortality is it like uh you know f following the rules versus living your own free will i mean what what is it <laughs> what's what's going on here what is going on uh so find me on twitter i am mitchipedia g-e-r john is also on twitter as i am at magic bollocks the rest of geek elite radio is at geek elite radio on twitter at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our on our website, geekeliteradio.com. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.